morning we are in Hebrews chapter 6. Last week I commented on a few of the songs that we sang. And um, this morning I'd like to comment briefly on one of them again. A song we've sung a numerous times. The last one we just sang. <coughs> this is the art of celebration, knowing that we are free from con- condemnation. Oh, praise the one. Praise the one who made an end to all my sin. Amen, huh? Amen. It's interesting, at the same time as we were singing the song, this is the art of celebration, knowing we are free from condemnation. Um, Praise the Lord that we are free from condemnation. It is interesting, though, that in the scriptures, although if we are believers, we are free from condemnation, that does not change the fact that the scriptures are full of very, very strong statements to those who are free from condemnation. Just because we're free from condemnation does not mean that God does not speak sternly sometimes, correct? Does not mean he doesn't speak strongly. Does not mean that he does not warn. Does not mean he does not exhort or or confront. Uh, We are free from condemnation, but the point is, I would argue, that that truth should resonate of what Christ has accomplished. We talked about that last week, right? If you remember, we talked about how too often we get caught up just in, in the statements such as this one. Last week we talked about eternal security. And if I may just reintroduce that, we get caught up so often. And wow, we're not, we're, we're not condemned. Amen? And the answer is, of course, amen. But too often we don't move from there to what? The one who accomplished it. Correct? The one who maintains that position for us. The one who stood condemned for us. And so too often we fall into the trap of reveling in that reality without remembering the reality is because of someone. And that's the point, I think, of the scriptures. That's why we call it Christianity, of course, is because it is about Christ. It's not about not being free from condemnation. We certainly need to sing about that and praise God for that, right? But the point is to remember the one. And that's what the song is about. To remember the one who freed us from all our sin. Um, And so I bring that up because lately we've been in Hebrews. And last week and now this week. And and frankly, these are hard passages. They're not hard to understand, as I said last week, but they're, they're painful. We're free from condemnation, but the passage is kind of painful. And we find that kind of passage showing up repeatedly in the scriptures. I think that's pretty evident, isn't it? If we're truly examining the scriptures, we're going to find that that there is pain. And the reason why there's pain is because we forget the whole point. We, we, We forget that the focus is on Christ and we wander away. And so painful passages need to be presented in the scriptures. And that's why God speaks the way he does. If you'll look at Hebrews chapter 5, even though we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6, I'd like to start reading this morning, starting in verse 11, since we were there last week. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6 really don't make a whole lot of sense without verses 11 through 14. So I'd like to read that before we get into uh, verses 1 through 3 this morning of chapter 6. Starting in verse 11, what we looked at last week. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not again, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on, on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This passage, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6, is a little, a little bit complex because in first reading it seems like, like he's saying we should throw out things we shouldn't throw out or forget about things we shouldn't forget about. And that's not all what he's saying. But I want to I develop that understanding in, ch in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. But in order to do so, we need to remember where we've been. I want to remind you that the whole point of Hebrews up to this point in time is talking about the supremacy of Christ and the supreme value of knowing Christ, of being intimate with Christ, of, of fellowshipping with Christ, of as a reality of, or as a result of fellowship with Christ, being blown away by his amazing love for you, having that love for you resonating in your life so that you, what, are captivated by him. It's one of the frustrating things about being a pastor is that a pastor can't make that happen. You realize that? I'm not the Holy Spirit. I know you know that. Lois and I were talking about this a little bit this morning. I can't make that happen. It's one of those things I, I find myself regularly frustrated in my own life and then in other people's lives as I minister to them that I'm trying to help someone, person A, get through a situation they find themselves in and I know what they need more than anything else is not to get through the situation they're in. What they really need to get through is what? They need to get through their blindness. Does that make sense? They need to get to their blindness of seeing and glorying in, reveling in Jesus Christ. They don't see him that way. See, I would submit to you that when we, when we come undone, when we, when, when we come off the rails, when the wheels come off the bus, use whatever terms you want to, because a, a horrible situation comes into your life, a difficulty enters into your life, whatever that difficulty is, when we find ourselves coming unglued because of it, you know what that says? It says something really, really simple. It says, I don't know and love and glory in Jesus. That's the bottom line. That is. Life is tough. Isn't it? Life is hard. Isn't it? We live in a sinful world. And we live in sinful bodies. My mom, right, my mother-in-law right now is in the hospital recovering from surgery because she's got lung cancer. My mom's at home. She's got either Alzheimer's or dementia. And you all know enough about her to know, know that. Life is tough. And that's all caused by sin in the world in my life right now. It's a result of sin in the world. Life's tough. And there's any number of other things that are going on in all your lives. Life is hard, isn't it? 
And it just gets harder as you age, too, by the way. It doesn't get easier. But when the hard times come into our lives and we find ourselves floundering, you know why? Because we've lost track of Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. It's because we've lost track of the reality that Jesus is supreme. You see, we come unglued because we think that thing that's not going right, if it would go right, it's supreme. It should be that. That's when we lost track of Jesus. We lost track that all things are from him, through him, to him, to him be glory forever. Amen. We've lost track. We've lost track of the supremacy of Jesus. And as a result, we've, we, we, we've allowed a cold heart to begin to form in us. We've allowed a hard heart to begin to form in us. Or to, to, to get a little more closer to the immediate context here, we're dull of hearing. We're dull of hearing. These are hard things to hear, aren't they? I mean, who wants to be told you're dull of hearing? Spiritually speaking, who wants to be told they're, they're cold-hearted? Who wants to be told they're hard-hearted? Who wants to be told that? Nobody does. They're hard things to hear, hard things to receive. But in the text we saw last week, the writer of Hebrews says about this, we have much to say, and I don't want to re repeat the message from last week. I'm just going to give a real brief overview to bring it into chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, because a number of you weren't here last week. I'd encourage you to listen to the message uh, if it's online. Is it online? Does anybody know? It's not online. Will it be online? Was it recorded? Okay, cool. I just want to make sure it got recorded. That's all. No, it's okay, Mike. It's okay. <laughs> You're a busy camper, I understand. It will be online eventually. Please feel free to listen to it. About this we have much to say, and he says it is hard to explain why, because you've become dull of hearing. Now I want to remind you, if you were here last week, it's a reminder. If you weren't here last week, it's introduction that you can listen to later. He says, verse 12, he gives the two reasons why, the two evidences why you're, er, that, that you are dull of hearing. Verse 12 you should be a teacher by now. And instead, you, you need to be taught. The writer of Hebrews says, at this point in time, in, in, the time has gone by. Enough time has gone by. That's in effect what he's saying. By this time, you should be teaching people. It doesn't mean, as we said last week, it doesn't mean you, you should be a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, although it's a great thing to do. He just says you should be teaching people. Teaching people the truth about Jesus. You should be teaching people the truth about how to glorify Christ. How to walk faithfully before Christ. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, the implication is you're not a teacher. Instead, you, at least not a biblical teacher, instead you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
you need milk, not solid food. Now, what is he talking about there? Just a reminder, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. He doesn't know the word of righteousness. That is, how to glorify Christ. He's unskilled in how to glorify Christ. goes on, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. They're bringing the word of God to bear in their life. They're recognizing by the power of the Spirit that there's areas of their life that are not glorifying to God. And they're bringing the truth to bear so that they do what? So they what? They mature. They grow and change. They glorify Christ in places they hadn't glorified Christ before. They glorify Christ in ways they, 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 they didn't before because they're bringing the truth to bear. Now you'd expect, since he just said, we mentioned it last week, you'd expect what he just said, that, that they're dull of hearing, so as a result of that, they've got to keep going over, the, the author of Hebrews say, we've got to keep going over the milk stuff. The basic oracles of God, we've got to bring it up again and again and again. Why? Because you keep forgetting it. It's not that there's no value in the basic oracles of God. It's just you just keep on forgetting it, so we've got to keep bringing it up again and again and again. The basic truths. So you'd expect, as we go into chapter 6, that he'd say so. Okay, here we go again. Let's do it again. Let's cover it all again. That's what you'd expect, right? Because what's happening is they keep doing what? They keep forgetting. And by the way, that forgetting doesn't mean necessarily, um, could you remind me again about, I can't remember it. The forgetting more is more functional forgetting. It's functional. It's, you may, you may have the data, but the way you live your life doesn't demonstrate that, doesn't evidence it. Make sense so far? Can I just give you an example? For example, maturity means, this is just an example, maturity means that we don't, we should not need people to remind us what you need to do is repent. Does that make sense? Maturity means that I remember and have applied and am applying the truth of the basic oracles of God to my life all the time. It's just like, it's the, it's the milieu I live in. So that when I sin, I find myself rushing off to repent. And I don't have to, whenever I find myself sinning, say, ah, ah what do I do about this? I've got to find out. Hey, let me talk to somebody. You know what you find yourself doing? Find yourself wrestling with the truth of the scriptures and bring the truth to bear in your own life. And glorifying Christ. That's what you find. And then you find yourself, according to chapter 5, you find yourself doing what? Teaching others that too. Does that make sense? You find yourself teaching others that as well. Helping people with those things. As well as many others. 
But what he does in chapter 6, verse 1, contrary to the idea of, well, okay, let's go through the basic oracles of God again, what does he do? Therefore, he says, verse 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. I said it last week, what the writer of Hebrews says to the, to the recipients of this letter in the various churches that received it, he says to them, listen, you should have moved. I want to remind you, last week he said it's everybody. I said that last week, but in case you weren't here. It's an all-inclusive statement in chapter 5, 11 through 14. He didn't do that before. This is the first time he makes these, these ex exhortative statements all-inclusive. And what he says to this church is this. I'm not doing that anymore. That's what he says. You need to be taught the basic oracles of God again. I'm not doing that. He's just not. We're moving on. Let us leave these elementary things. Now we know, th there's something really weird if, if Andrew comes to me and says, we know it's really weird in the first place if you ask me a math question, but <laughs> he's in trouble, right? Isn't that right, Sammy? <laughs> he's really in trouble if he's asking me a math question. But if he comes to me and says, hey, Steve, what's one plus one equal? And I say, what? <laughs> I say, two. Come on, you guys are scaring me now. Oh, maybe you weren't sure what I would say, right? <laughs> yeah, two times two, two plus two, right? Okay, that's old news. Um, and that's okay if Andrew was a little younger than he is now. But if he comes back to me again and asks me what's one plus one, it's getting a little concerning, isn't it? And I teach him again that it's two, and then a little bit later he comes back to me and says, Steve, what's one plus one again? And I say, it's two. Isn't it appropriate eventually for me to say, um, I'm not answering that anymore? Isn't that appropriate? In a math class, is that appropriate? Of course it is. I'm not answering that anymore. Figure it out. I've given you that info, and I've explained how to come up with that. I've demonstrated, I've, I've illustrated it. Here's an apple, here's an apple. How many apples are there? Okay. Elementary. Now, does that mean that it's not valuable? Is, does that mean, if I'm not going to teach him 1 plus 1 equals 2 anymore, does that mean 1 plus 1 equals 2 is not valuable anymore? No, it's incredibly valuable. What he's saying is, Andrew, move along. Don't forget that. Your problem is you keep forgetting it. Remember it. Cling to it. Find it valuable because it is. Because if we don't get that across as valuable, then nothing else is valuable in that same vein, correct? Nothing else is valuable in that same vein. It's time to find value in 1 plus 1 equals 2. So when he says it's time to move on here, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ to go on to maturity, he's not saying let's forget these doctrines. He's not saying... Let's forget them. He's saying, when he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, he's saying, let's build upon it. Let's not live there. It's not going to happen anymore. 
That's not where we're going to remain. The elementary doctrines of Christ are incredibly valuable, aren't they? They're absolutely valuable. But that's not all God told us. He built off that, didn't he? If you don't believe that, read Romans, for example. <laughs> I mean, he, he said a whole lot on top of that. That is agreeing with that and using that truth, those truths, as essential building blocks to continue the corpus, the corpus of truth that is going to transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the idea of leaving them is not leaving them and forgetting them. But it's building upon. He's going to develop it further, what he's talking about here. But he's saying if all we're doing is clinging to the very basics of Christianity, there's something really wrong with that. Something really gross about that. Something really wrong with being a child. If I may just use this as an illustration, those of you who are here this last or at church Wednesday night, this is a little bit of repetition. Please bear with me. But just as by way of illustration, it's something that's always bothered me. I've said it before, I think, but I'm going to use it as an illustration anyway. It amazes me that some people, some people who claim to be believers, and I'm not, when I say that, I'm not saying they're not. I'm just using the terminology because I don't sit on the throne can somehow, for a long extended period of time, find that using the daily bread for their fellowship with Jesus, as, or as they call it, their devotion, is somehow acceptable. By very definition, think about this for a second. By very definition, is the daily bread deep theological <laughs> treatises? Is it even shallow theological treatises? No. Now, some people would say, should you really be cutting on this Christian organization? I'm not cutting on them. I'm just using it as an illustration. If Jesus is who he says he is, all things are from him, through him, to him, to him be glory forever. Okay? If Jesus is th who he says he is, do you really think a verse a day is any valuable exercise at all? With no context. With a nice story added on that eats up most of the page, and a thought for the day at the end, which may or may not accurately reflect what that verse actually said. Can I just ask you a quick question? Does that sound like, just want to ask the question, does that sound like someone moving on to maturity, or does that sound like someone eating baby food? Help me out. Sounds like baby food, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It sounds like Gerber's baby food to me. Gerber's baby food is a valuable thing for who? Babies. That makes sense to me. 
But daily bread is never going to bring someone to maturity. Sorry, it just won't. It won't. You'll never be mature reading daily bread. Now, I at the same time that I say that, let me just throw something else out. I find that most Christians do less than daily bread. They fellowship with their Redeemer a whole lot less than daily bread. It's easy to say, yeah, daily bread, that's just, uh, that's just baby food. I find a lot of people that claim to be believers are in the Word a whole lot less than that. A whole lot less. Doesn't that not sound like dull of hearing? Doesn't it? Now, this is hard for you to hear, as in painful to hear. It should be, if that's you. Because according to the writer of Hebrews in the past chapter, I look around here, and I'm going to be really blunt from last week and say this. As I look around here, the youngest believer I know is Mike. Not to single you out, Mike. But I know, it's pretty scary. But as I look around here, the youngest believer that I see is Mike. And I have to ask myself, and I'm, this is not an accusing question, okay? I'm not accusing, I'm asking this question of myself. And I appreciate if everybody asks the same question that we talked about last week. And the question is this. Have you not been a believer long enough that you ought to be teachers by now? That's the question. And that's a really painful question. We can't ignore it. I'm not accusing anybody because I don't live with you 24-7. Asking the question, are you a teacher? Have you not been a believer long enough that you ought to be a teacher by now? Because if you ought to be a teacher by now, according to the scriptures, and you're not teaching, that means you're still a a baby, a child, spiritually. By definition, by biblical definition. And so the writer of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 1, says, It's time. And I know this is blunt. And some people would say, this is not fair because you don't know me, Steve. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to all of us. It's easy to get offended, but if you get offended by the statement, you're probably a child. Do you realize that? Because if you are teaching, you ought to be the someone like the person on a soccer team when the coach is reaming out the soccer team because eight out of, how many people are on a soccer team? How many? Eleven. Eight out of eleven aren't playing well, but three are. See, I can do math. Those three, if the coach is reaming them out, is going to be doing what? Getting offended or saying, you go, coach. Will the three be offended or will they not? Tammy, how many people are on a softball team? Nine, is it? I couldn't remember if it was nine or ten. Nine? You don't have to look over your parents, you know. <laughs> you were on several softball teams, right? 
You ever on a softball team where they're not cutting it and the coach would ring them out and you were cutting it? You weren't offended, were you? You were sitting there saying what? You go, coach, right? Or you don't call them coaches, do you? Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, I'm not that good at sports here, as you can see. It's natural, right? So if you get offended by what, what the writer of Hebrews just said and, and me being the mouthpiece right now, if you got offended by that, it's probably because you're one of the eight on the soccer team, not the three. I just want to make it really clear. Because if you're teaching, if you're moving on and have moved on into maturity, you're going to be sitting there saying, yeah, Jesus is worthy of knowing everything about him, and Jesus is worthy of my life. Yes, Steve, go. Writer of Hebrews, absolutely, amen and amen. And we're not that. We're either, like, totally detached and, like, Jesus went right by with any care or offended. The only thing that makes sense is to absolutely rejoice or absolutely be offended by what was just said. If you're not absolutely rejoicing and saying, absolutely, coach, you bet. Or if you're not offended, there's something really horribly wrong. Every one of us here ought to right now either be grotesquely offended by this or fired up and saying, yeah! Should be. Not be either one is really troubling. Either way, the writer of Hebrews says, What? Time to move on, and I'm moving on. What is he moving on from? From the basic elementary, chapter 5, verse 12, doctrines of Christ, and going on to maturity. And then he adds to that, What's he moving on from? He says, I'm not going to lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. What? What's he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. We find ourselves as believing Christians, people who name the name of Christ, continually looking elsewhere other than Christ. Don't we? Right? And what happens with that? How does that work for us? When we look elsewhere other than Christ, how does that work for us? It doesn't, does it? No, and we know that. And so when we do that, we have to be called back to repentance, right? Because that is very definition. What he says here in verse 1 the repentance from dead works, works that can bring no life is the idea. They're either works that are contrary to the things of Christ or they're works as in the idea is we look to the things we do as somehow doing something for us. It could be either one. They're dead works. They're either contrary to Christ or they're things that we think will do something for us that do nothing for us because the law can't do that. Correct? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we need to move beyond this idea again of laying this, uh, this or getting involved in these dead works and therefore having to go back to the repentance thing again and again and again and again and again. I pursue the wrong things, 
and then I find myself repenting, and then I pursue it again, and then I find myself repenting. I do it again, and I find myself repenting. I do it again, and I find myself repenting. I do it again, I find myself repenting. Does that sound like you? You know, if that sounds like you, that means you're dull of hearing. That's what he said. If that's you, you're dull of hearing. If that's you, you have a hard heart. If that's you, you have a cold heart. That's what he said. He says, we're moving beyond that. Because going to spiritual maturity means that I love the word of righteousness, chapter 5. Going on to maturity means that I, I am training myself for the glory of God to live righteously the way, in the ways that I used to live unrighteously for His glory. He says, so we're not doing this anymore. That's what he said. We're not doing this anymore. Right? He said, I'm not going to spend my time taking you through Christianity 101 again. That's inappropriate. Because if I keep doing that, then no one's going to come to maturity. And when no one comes to maturity, God's not glorified in the church and through the church. It's expected if the Spirit's working in people's lives, they go on to maturity. How is it possible we could be doing this revolving door, going through this revolving door scenario that he describes here, dead works, repentance, dead works, repentance, Dead works, repent, or to use another term that he has here, dead works, no faith in God, faith in God, no faith in God, faith in God, no faith in God, faith in God. Why, no, why do I say no faith in God? Because I got my faith in something else. That's what it is. When I am saying, hey, this will work for me, this will make me happy, this will satisfy me, whatever it is, I'm saying there's where my faith is. So no faith in God. Can't have faith in God in that. That's what the people in, in, in Joshua 24 were saying to Joshua. We, we keep God number one, but we cling to these other gods too. No, it doesn't work that way. There's no faith in God then. Because the God you just said you have faith in is a caricature of the God that is, is real. This is the true God, and anything else would be unacceptable. So there's no faith. How can I say I have faith in God when I'm pursuing this? It doesn't make any sense. So therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go into maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. It's repent and believe, right? Right? Repent and believe. It's not repent and do it again. It's not repent and do it again and again and again. And we know that at some level, right? Don't we? I mean, you would expect, wouldn't you, if, if I may use Andrew again as an illustration, if I got angry at Andrew and I murdered him, <laughs> and I repented of that, You'd expect me not later on to murder Mike, right? There's third time. You'd expect me not later on to murder Mike, right? You'd expect me to grow and change, wouldn't you? 
Now, now, if I murdered Andrew, and a week later, and I repent of it, and a week later I murder Mike, okay, and then I repent of it, and a month later I murder Stephanie, you are not going to rejoice that it's changing, right? Are you? I mean, it was a week, and now it's a month. Woo! Steve's getting better. Praise the Lord. This is great. Right? And then Steve repents, and three months later, he murders Ken. Wow, look at this change. This is awesome. We know that's not going to happen, right? We're not going to rejoice over that. But we do, don't we, over almost everything else? Don't we? But he says here, that's still just the process of repent, no faith, repent, have a little bit of faith, no faith, repent, have a little faith, no faith. He said, no, it's time to move beyond that. Something needs to be showing up in your rearview mirror, spiritually speaking, right? Things need to be starting to show up in your rearview mirror and begin to be, begin to become distant in your rearview mirror and eventually not being able to see anymore, right? I mean, that should happen, shouldn't it? I mean, you, you do believe the Holy Spirit's big enough to transform people, right? You would think, wouldn't you, if, if the Holy Spirit is who he says he is, if Christ's redemption is who he says, what he says it is, if being dead in our trespasses and sins and being made alive in Christ is what he describes it is, now, we're not talking about sinlessness. We're going to war against sin the rest of our lives. But there should be some things fading off in the background in the mirror, shouldn't there be? And there should be new things showing up in the front of our, through our window view, right? There should be new and different things, radically different things. Christ honoring, Christ glorifying things showing up in our, in our front view through our window, our, wind, our, our front windshield, and disgusting, horrifying, grotesque, things in our rearview mirror that we want to accelerate from. Right? Shouldn't there be? Shouldn't we, when we glance up in our spiritual rearview mirror, find ourselves horrified with what we see? And yet rejoicing because it's not in our windshield anymore? And instead we look through our windshield and we see Christ honoring things that we're driving towards for God's glory and we're pursuing, we're caught up. Shouldn't we be? I mean, that's the point. That's what spiritual maturity is. If I may take the immediate context out of chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, you know one of the things we should see in our rearview mirror? His spiritual immaturity fading away in the distance. And we look out of our front windshield and we see opportunities to teach. And we're thrilled. And we're excited to glorify Christ. And we can't wait. We can't start pushing accelerators. We can't wait to get there. Because Christ is worthy. That makes sense. According to Scripture. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. Oh, there's always going to be horrible things going into the background. Because we're sinful people. 
we're going to find ourselves, we're always going to be repenting, but we don't need to be taught about it anymore because we're going to find ourselves, because we value and see Christ as supreme, we're going to see our sin for what it is, and we're going to want to, desperately want to repent and change for glory. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is driving to. Not again, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about uh, instruction about washings is referring to some of those dead works that somehow doing these things, washing ourselves as the Old Testament law talks about, somehow cleansed people, made them well with God. They're just, they're nothing. We're not doing that anymore. The laying, of ha- uh, laying on of hands, the resurrection, basic stuff, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. Can I, this, the, especially the last statement there, the last two statements, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Wait a second, those are real valuable things, aren't they? Aren't they? Help me out. I saw one person shaking his hand, shaking his head. Yeah, those are real valuable things. Resurrection of the dead, real valuable, right? What was the other one? Eternal judgment, real valuable, right? Absolutely. Remember what we said from 6-1? It's not that we're forgetting them and tossing them out. We're moving beyond them. As in, we're holding on to them, valuable, they're foundational, they're building blocks, important, crucial building blocks. There's so much more. So I don't need, the idea is, we don't need anybody to remind us of eternal judgment. I don't need anybody to remind me anymore about eternal judgment. Why? Because I haven't forgotten about it. Because it's, it's part of my tool chest I carry around with me all the time. I don't need anybody to remind me about resurrection anymore. Why? Because I carry around with me all the time. It's with me all the time. I remember it all the time and all the ramifications of it. And, 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 and those are just like step one of so many other steps with Christ. I do need to know about the resurrection of the dead. I do need to know about eternal judgment. I absolutely do. But there are only one little or two little pieces of an amazing jigsaw puzzle that God has given us in Christ. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is, we're going to talk about judgment. Of course, he's going to talk about it in just a few seconds. We'll talk about resurrection. He will talk about that in Hebrews. But by itself, who cares? Because it's about Jesus. It's about what he has accomplished, what he is accomplishing, who he is, what his goals are, what his objectives are. How much he loves you and how amazing he is. Eternal judgment and resurrection of the dead are small little pieces that are valuable pieces, but they're small little pieces of something that's much, much bigger. And so what the author of Hebrews says then, 
In verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. That's why he wraps this section up before he goes to the next one. This we will do if God permits. You know what he's saying? Your only hope and my only hope of moving beyond the basic oracles of God is if the Lord wills. Now, for his believers, he does. <laughs> That's why he says it so strongly. For his true believers, he does, and he will accomplish it because he will bring us to maturity if we're truly his believers, his followers, his children. If we're truly grafted into the vine, he will. But it is up to the Holy Spirit to do so. It doesn't mean we're passive. It doesn't mean we just sit back and say, well, I'm just going to wait. He'll do it in his good time, which I've heard pastors say before. Well, in his good time. No, today is the day. God does use means, doesn't he? He always does. He uses means. We will move beyond this if the Lord wills and if the Lord does it because it's up to the Holy Spirit moving in us to transform us, which is why, for example, Paul prays that the, Philippian, no, the Ephesian church, that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of their heart so they will see these things. why he prays that way. And you see those kind of prayers all throughout the scriptures. That's why Jesus in, 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 in John 17 says, I pray for them that they will know you, the Father, and that you'll, you'll know the Son, that they'll know the Son who you sent. Praying for you. That you'll know the Father in the most intimate way possible in the Son who the Father sent. You'll know more intimately than anything else. This will happen if the Lord wills. I go back to where I started in the beginning. It's one of the most frustrating things is I can't do it. I can't. I've seen it happen too many times where I've ministered to people. They come to me and they say, Steve, I need help. Oh, my goodness, do I need help. Oh, really, what's going on? They tell me what's going on. I say, wow, that's bad. You shouldn't live that way. That's wrong. That's sinful. And here's why it's sinful. And they say, yeah, I know it's sinful. I know it's wrong. The Bible says it. I know. So why'd you come to me? Well, I want to know what to do. Okay. And you've heard me talk about this before, but what have you done? Well, I prayed about it. How often have you prayed about it? Once, usually. And what does the Bible say about it? I don't know. That's why I came to you. By very definition, they just declared what about themselves? They don't know the word, and they've lived long enough to be a teacher, and yet they are still what? Children. By definition. And my counseling has changed dramatically over the years, because now, you know where I go? I used to always do what? I used to always focus on how to solve their problem. You know where I go now? I talk about Jesus. You know what the problem is? They don't know Jesus. Either they're unsaved or they don't know Jesus as they ought to. Especially if they should be teaching. I'm kind of embracing this idea from Hebrews 6, verse 1. We're moving beyond. There's no reason 
why someone who is saved for years and doesn't even find any inward impetus, drive to search the scriptures to discover the truth of how to glorify God. Now, I know that God gives us pastors to help us through struggles. I understand that. Help us to see what the scriptures have to say. I get that. But not so that we remain, what? Children. Not so that we remain children. Your pastor isn't supposed to be the Bible answer man. He's not supposed to be that. I, it hasn't happened often to me, but I get thrilled when someone comes to me, they're going through some struggles, and I say to them, so what, what does God say about that? And they start laying out, it may not be perfect, but they start laying out, well, I saw this in the scriptures, and I, I, I saw this in the scriptures, I saw this, and I've realized that, that, now this is where I really get jacked up, I realize that really I haven't been worshiping Christ right, and here's how. I've been pursuing all the wrong things. I get really jacked up when I say, and so what, what, what have you done about it? So I turn to God and I go, that's the forgiveness. And I'm really fellowshipping with Jesus. And I'm just trying to tweak this a little bit. Woo! That gets me jacked. That gets me fired up. You know why? Because someone's moving beyond. I hate to say it, but it very seldom happens. Very, very What the writer of Hebrews is saying to the churches, what he's saying to Redeeming Grace Baptist Church is this. He's saying, Christ is more amazing than you can possibly imagine. And if you really, really, really imagine it, you still don't get it. Because he's eternal and you're temporal. Because he's holy and you, innately holy, and you merely have an alien holiness. Because you're finite and he's infinite. Because he's God and you're man. We still don't get it. We can never completely get it. This day we see what? Through a glass? Darkly. Then we will see face to face. Correct? But now we see darkly even in our best of days. But what we can see by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is eternal. And the writer of Hebrews is calling you and I to that. Summed up so perfectly in, in Hebrews chapter 12 as we come to the end of the book, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Locking on to Jesus not dead works, not doing the repentance, dead works, repentance, dead works, dead work, repentance, dead works, repentance, dead works, not washing hands, resurrection, eternal judgment, Jesus. Not a resurrection. Not a final judgment in. Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is calling us back to this.
not the elemental things, but the truth, the depth, and the breadth of Jesus. And being forgiven today. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. May we go in that peace. Let's move on, shall we? Let's move on. Three elements. And find ourselves in prayer. Ask yourself, what holds you back? What about this world? What about this earth? What about your life that is so amazingly important <coughs> that Christ merely fits in the cupboard to be pulled out at mealtime? What is amazingly valuable about your life? About the stuff of your life? About your thoughts? About your dreams? about your hopes. What is so amazingly valuable about that that Christ remains in the cupboard? And who is Christ? And why is he so worthy of our worship? Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, help us. <coughs> Too often we we treat you as a teacup on the shelf. Teacup's valuable if we're having tea. There's not much value otherwise. Some of us really get caught up in teacups and put them on shelves for display. Help us to acknowledge, Lord, that you don't belong on a shelf. You don't belong on display that way either. You are all in all. Help us. Because we do tend to be dull of hearing. Help us because we do tend to be hard-hearted. Help us because we do tend to be cold-hearted. Forgetting you. Wandering astray. And we don't even realize the way we live is such a mockery of who you are. Caricatures are not to be worshipped. You are in holiness and truth. So help us. Change us. We ask that your spirit will work in us powerfully open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, soften our hearts to your grace. In your name I pray. Amen. <coughs>